Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It's Jared. Hi, Jared. How are you? Uh, You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to talk about the game we're going to be covering today. Like we mentioned at the end of the last episode, by far the game that has taken us the longest to play. Yeah, what is this taking, like two, three months? <laughs> it's taken us a long time. But that's not by any means of the difficulty of this game or even the length of content, mm. but just the unique format in which it exists. That's right. So today we are going to be talking about The Fellowship of Bones from Murders by Mail. I hope you guys like some Sherlock-based content because that's what we're going to be covering. Come to Recon. You can come in your pajamas. You can drink whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. That's what's so great about Recon being at home this year. RealityEscapeCon.com. If you loved hearing from Silvano from Deckscape, if you loved hearing from Michelle and Yassine from Society of Curiosities, all of these creators are going to be with us talking about some really cool things that they're working through and what's coming in the future. We hope to see you guys at Recon. Man, that's such a good Recon ad. And I I don't know if it was me or Jared, but I I know we both sound great. You're the ultimate hype man for us. Like anytime there is like humble brag central, that's all you. It's all a joke most of the time, (laughs) but we got to do it, you know. But welcome back, guys. Uh, We are in our first section. Uh, This is a part where me and Jared uh, discuss our likes about the game that we are discussing as well as talk about in no mean way, kind of rooms for improvement or things that we thought could be better. And like I said, that's no mean diss that the people are not saying, like, we hate the game you made. It is just we love these games just as much as, you know, everyone else here does, and we want them to be better. So we try to give our opinion on, like, what could potentially improve that. So, Jared, can you tell us a little bit about The Fellowship of Bones by Murders by Mail? Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, it is a Sherlock Holmes theme, which is really funny to me that we have somehow avoided not but not intentionally the one of the greatest fictional detectives of all time like how how has this been our first Sherlock game yeah this is the first one we've ever covered and I think even just outside of covering Sherlock games we've only played two yeah like out of every game we've played we've only played two that actually had the character of Sherlock Holmes someone involved in it and that's mind-boggling to me I don't know if we just have like a subconscious bias against oh I love Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. I know I do too I feel like I watch all the shows but I'm better than him but I'm <laughs> Oh, so you're Moriarty. That's where that's where we're at now. That's correct. Uh, but no, getting back to the the game, a really really different game for us. A mm-hmm. lot of things that we are not uh, accustomed to, and we want to take a good part of this episode to talk about that. But this does follow, and our guest will talk a lot about this today. This does follow in the format of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. So what you're looking at is map, directories, a lot of things that are going to kind of help flesh out this really unique environment of what we're playing. But you are going out, sending out correspondence, getting information via these characters in order to solve the mystery at hand, which is no wonder that this is a murder because we're doing murders by mail. Mm -hmm. 
So that's kind of the general format of what we're dealing with today. But that's also the first reason that we really love this game. And Zach's going to talk a little bit more about what makes it so unique is the format. Zach, tell us about this format. Yeah. So the format of this game is very different than ones we've played before. How it works is that you are given a bunch of information um, from Sherlock Holmes himself, as well as other people that are involved in the case, like Mr. Lawson, uh, who's the first person that approaches Mr. Holmes with this case. Basically, you find out that someone has been murdered at the bottom of a basement of this. I think it's like a museum, um, but they have like a bunch of artifacts, like bone, like dinosaur it's, artifacts. It's the society, good Correct. sir. Correct, the Royal Society or the... Uh, the Lillian Society. Yeah, all, the, there's a big house with a bunch of societies in it. That's all I remember. <laughs> but yeah, you're trying to solve this murder and try to figure out who did it and why. And f- kind of find out like who would want to do this anyways. So the fun format of this game is that you have correspondence. So you get some famous characters from the story, as well as one that you maybe do not know. But you get like Dr. Watson. You get to send out information. You get Miss Hudson, who is like the care lady slash like maid kind of lives with Sherlock, as well as Mr. Wiggins, who is a kind of a younger guy who is working to become a detective with. Yeah, kind of a turn your life around type of character. Uh, Yes. So they're really fun to interact with because they go out and you get to. So you part of this as well as you get to interact with a part online through like a website as well as a texting system. So what you get to do is you would text like, okay, where do we want to send our three correspondents? So we look at the map in our book and we go, okay, we want to send one person to Scotland Yard and we want to send another person to the library and we want to send this person to the morgue. And you would be able to move them there and send the text saying these are the three locations we want to go. And then you send it out, and three days later in the mail, you get a response. And it kind of gives you all information of what they learned, character-wise. And it's important that the character you send impacts the answer you get. Let's Yeah, and I want to talk about that more when we talk about the characters, but let's talk about the wait. We yeah. waited. Yeah, we waited like an average of three days per response. It's, it's mind-boggling. Like, this whole system, in my opinion, goes against everything that so many people love about puzzle solving, which is that endorphin rush of knowing that you figured it out. Yep. You have to wait and you have to wait. And so you might be saying, Jared, Zach, you guys are talking about this in the things that you like section. I loved it. Like I thoroughly enjoyed being able to come back to this game. And I felt quite selfishly like, Oh, I got more mail. Like anytime we get something in the mailbox, I'm so excited. Jared's always very excited. I'm always very excited because it's like, Ooh, something new to play. But it was, it was enthralling because I wanted to know, did I send them to the right places? What information I got back? But I don't know very many other companies, unless you're subscribed, obviously to like a monthly thing, but this was all the same game. Yeah. And, and for me, I enjoyed the wait with the caveat that I knew that that was what we were getting ourselves into. Well, right? the onboarding of this game was phenomenal. It, it very clearly explains you how it's going to work. Yes, and tells you how you'll you know how you text you know how the system works with the phone as well as the online part. You just very clearly go, okay, this is what you should do for your first move. Do it, and then you get your first response, and then you know how the whole game works. There's yeah. no like, there's no secret after that, and that's really. That's a very cool thing that most games we've played, you know, we talk about in our improvements, how you onboard better yes. or like what we could do to onboard new players. It was smooth. It, this game, I think, did it as one of the best yes. in terms of being like, this is how you play the game. Do this as your first move or help explain the first move. 
And then you did it and it goes, okay, you just do that until you think you've solved it. Yes. And then let's talk about the end a little bit with this format as well, because I mm-hmm. really liked this too. And this isn't a spoiler. One of the most tantalizing things about this game is you get this really cool folder system that houses everything when the case opens. And there is a black envelope in there with the final questions that you have to answer that you can open anytime. Correct. Uh, And what's really unique about what they've done is they have allowed you to have primary goals, which you have to answer to beat the game. And then more so what I would call like side quests or extra information, secondary secondary quests that if you can answer them correctly, that's great. That's like, in our opinion, like maxing out a video game, like hundred percenting a video game. Yeah. Um, and, but if you don't, no worries, like play the main quest, enjoy it at whatever level. So mm-hmm. this whole format of sending out people, collecting information, waiting for them to come back. And then the, just this ending that it, the, the whole thing is so different, so unique and so good. And it was just onboarded so well that it just, it just felt good. Like the, the whole way through, it just felt good. Yeah. The only thing that felt a little off for Zach and I, and I don't think this is either a criticism or a like, is that we played so many games while we were playing this game mm-hmm. that here and there we kind of got lost or mixed up a little bit. Yeah, it's hard because you, you're allowed to take notes and they give you a really nice like part yes. of the back of the folder that yes. lets you record all your notes. The issue is that, yeah, we just we're in a weird scenario that a lot of people, you know, we're very lucky to be in where we just cover so many games all the time that we'd play like three different games in between a f- between we got our next mail yes. and then we'd be like, uh, okay, I somewhat remember where we were at and then we'd have to read our notes and then try to, and then we would reread our old answers and go, oh, okay. Then we'd kind of get back on track. And, and then I, at the end, we very, I think we made the connections very clearly at the end of it. Yes. And I, but I think for anybody who does play a lot of games, this will be something that you're playing on the side yeah. and enjoying as you will. But we, we just thought that that was an interesting point to bring up is that we loved everything. But for us, it was always like, okay, let's, let's get back in our murders by mail mode. What mm. happened here again? Oh yeah. Like I, I distinctly remember rereading the opening prompt, like every time that we picked the game back up yep. and got a letter, but Zach, I want to move into talking about the the characters and the narrative and how that all plays together, because I also really enjoyed that part of the game. Yeah. And I think this again is a, a shout out again to Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, mm-hmm. but let's dive into that a little more. Yeah, so I covered a little bit about the characters earlier on in the show. That's one of the most intriguing parts to me about this game is that the three consultants that you or the people you send out, uh, your correspondents, all have different personalities and characters. And one of the really cool things they do is that you learn about the correspondents through a, a, a letter that they give you in the envelope that tells you what they're experts at. You know, you can send out Miss Hudson. She can be a little more discreet because people don't really know who she is and she's a, like a nice older lady. So you can maybe get information out of people that you wouldn't expect, you know, that they would tell like Watson because they would see Watson yes. know what his connection is. You know, you can send Watson out as more of like he can gain big information, send to bigger people because they respect him. So it's easier for him. And, you know, so it's fun getting to make choices based on like their character and personalities yes. as well as Wiggins. So Wiggins um, is kind of a turnaround life and has a lot of connections to the underground and the criminal societies and stuff like that. So he's a really fun character that you can send around as well to learn more about certain criminal activities that have been going on or have connections to like pawn shop owners and a a bunch of other things that we learned throughout the game. And that was really fun to, you know, 
every time we do something, we would figure out where we wanted to go. And we're like, okay, who would we send? You know, and we, we would discuss for like five minutes, like, okay, well, Watson would be best here because we think he would get the best information out of Scotland Yard, you know, or like from the morgue because he's a doctor, you know. Yes. And we thought maybe if we sent Miss Hudson to talk to this guy, they would never expect her to. Right. Like her keep, disarming demeanor would yeah. really get us more information. Yeah. Than, or if we're like, hey, we want to send like a tough guy, we'd send Wiggins. Yes. You know, it, it, it was that was a blast. And the other part with the world building is that they just build up London. Like you get to learn more about Sherlock and where he's at. But then as you do the whole case, you learn more about like the Linnean society, the Royal society. You learn about that space and like what's all going on there and its problems as well as when you keep going bigger and bigger, how the world around it is evolving. How's how these characters all play in with each other, how, you know, the person who died how they impacted other people's lives around them. Yes. And clearly going to places and seeing that, like going to the theater to see like a girl that he used to talk to and seeing how they interacted and how, you know, but then also how that world built around or how that environment changed because of that scenario. Or when you go to like the society, the Linnean society and the Royal society, all that, how the Burlington house change, like how that changes. Yes. It, it was just all very well done. It, it was really fun to feel like, Every time we got a response, I felt like I learned more about the environment. Yeah, it it I would liken it to like open world video games. Like if yeah. you like uh, Skyrim or Breath of the Wild, then you're dealing in this massive world. And I don't recall another game that we've played that gave me that sense. Like you have options when you're solving a puzzle, but now I had options where I could go, who yep. I could talk to, who I could send. It it was. I don't want to call it daunting. It was enjoyable. Like it gave me freedom to explore. It gave us agency. It was, it was really, really, really cool to have that. And I just, I appreciate that. Cause again, that's, it's world building. It's immersion at home. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I felt like with the characters, we had options. It, it almost felt like if you've never played like an RPG, this is a great, like, intro into rpgs if you've never played an open world game this is a great intro into open world type games because you're dealing with characteristics and space in a way that you're not dealing with in other games like i'm looking over here we still have the cursed dollhouse built that is a world It, it it was immersive we fully enjoyed that but you're living within the confines of that house which yeah. is fine. I'm not I'm not making like a, a value statement about that. Hmm. But then when you move to something like this, like Murders by Mail, it's like it's just so wide open. You have open. all of London. You have it, all of London to explore. And like you said, it was daunting because one of the things they give you is a directory. And it, yes. and it literally has hundreds of names of people that you could and you could pick any of them. And you can. Like if I you if, you, if you wanted to go completely off script. Yeah. And, and, and do that. You could like, it, it makes me think of a little bit of a society of curiosities, yeah. how you have a lot of freedom in talking with the characters in mm-hmm. the game. Like how great is stuff like that? When you, if you want to be goofy and just send people to nowhere, you can do that. Yeah, and I think our guest talks about it some, but one of the things I remember when we talked to him was how there are people who, you know, like some of the fastest people to beat this game did it in five to seven moves, which is, you know, times you get the mail. And then some people did lots yeah. like they 100 percent. they got all the information they went to everyone and did every important place they did all the side care like learned every piece of information they could so that they could they could 100 percent it it's really fascinating really yeah. really fascinating but the third thing that i want to talk about that we really really liked is 
what behind the scenes is making this run? Mm -hmm. So you've got to imagine, again, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. It's a lot taken from then. If you have hundreds of places that you can send people, this directory is huge. Now imagine having an automated system that puts out answers based on which character you send, the degree and the quality of information that you're going to get, and people could get sent anywhere on this map. To me, just from a game creation technology standpoint, the system backing up this game was really cool. Yeah. You get on, you text, you send your people, and then three days later in the mail, you're getting something. And unless you're going super off course, it's something that they already have pre-programmed. And you just keep going and going. I was just blown away by how all of that stays in place. And then the fact that, oh, it's not just this one game, but they have two or three other games that are spitting out the same thing. Like, how unique, how cool is this? Mm. And I, I just think that deserves a shout out because we do, we work with a lot of different formats and systems, the systems behind the games that we run. And this one was just very unique and kind of awe-inspiring to me. Mm. What, what were your thoughts about it? I really liked the system. I It was crazy to hear like, when we would talk to the creator too, how they had to make responses for these like really yes. random choice. Like if I chose to send three people to just neighbors across the entire town of London that really didn't have any connection to what we were doing, that would must be insane to write like a four paragraph response. That's like, yeah, I don't know why you're not saying why you're here, but like give why, them information. Why are you at the flower shop? It's yeah. good to have you. Would you like to buy an orchid? By the way, the murderer, is, you know, like how do you get in? Like it would just be funny. Like how I, did you know it was me? How did you know it was me in the flower? But it, it, I really liked the system. It, it was definitely something that was intriguing the entire time from like my point of view, as well as when we finished it, I was just. It, I almost wanted to clap because I was like, that, that was really cool how it felt somewhat rewarding that the system worked that well. Yes, yeah. I, I agree. It All around, really, really cool game yeah. that we've got to play today. But I want to transition us into talking about where we felt like there was room for improvement mm -hmm. in this game. And the first thing that I'll start off with is I felt like sometimes there was some frustrations on our part in clarity on where to go when we knew we wanted to talk to a specific character. Mm. So if we decided that we wanted to talk to a make up a name, we wanted to talk to Mr. Locksmith Yeah, and we would go to the directory and we would figure out that this is the address for Mr. Locksmith. And then we would get to Mr. Locksmith's home and Mrs. Locksmith was there and she said, no, Mr. Locksmith is at the office. You need to go see him over there. I don't doubt that that's realistic. I'm not calling that into, but but with the wait time of the three days, it felt like it would make more sense, both on an efficient and a gameplay system, to just let Mr. Locksmith be at home. And this is the interesting part, because I told Jared I'd do this for the podcast. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit to this point, only in terms of, the one thing I really applauded them on this part was that you always gained information even when you did that. Yes. Here's the thing. You maybe did not get the information you wanted. Like you didn't meet Mr. Locksmith. But every time we went somewhere that the main character that we were trying to investigate was not at, the person that we would run into would tell us a lot of side information that became useful. Especially one that I, I will bring up. 
was that we wanted to talk to a certain person and that they're they're like made said way too much of why they've been acting weird lately. Yes. And it perfect. It helped us solve one of our answers when we realized why. Right. You know, and, and that was really, it was realistic in terms of how that worked. And we got information that was very useful. The issue that Jared is bringing up is that it's not what we wanted. It's that awkward thing of like, okay, I want to question Mr. Locksmith. And that's all I really care about at this moment. Cause that's what our goal was when we made that choice. Right. And then to not get it. And they basically go, Oh, go visit B8. And you're like, okay cool i so you're telling me i wasted my turn almost it's not wasting the turn because you do gain information that you that is eventually very useful right but it doesn't feel useful in that moment it doesn't and and the weight makes that hard like i hearken it to like what i hear myself saying is i'm playing mario and i want to fight bowser right now yep. like give me bowser and the game is like well no we're gonna make you fight like these you go up there and there's baby bowser instead and he goes, yeah nope, I'm no here. we've got a bunch of other hosts of, of small bosses before you fought the final boss i i agree that's good game design yeah what's difficult is in a mario or in other games i can pick up immediately and keep going right yeah. if there's a a, a mini boss that I have to fight. Great. I'll fight the mini boss and but I'll keep continue. Going. I'll keep continuing. It's the intersection of that problem and the weight. That was a little difficult because in consulting detective, you could just keep going if you wanted to, there's no weight. Yeah. So that, that was the only downside of the weight versus the way that the, the system worked. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I want to talk about is where the weight hit us in terms of the payoff of information. And this is kind of like a, I would call it a point B yeah. is for this style of game, which is correct me if I'm wrong, hundred percent deductive reasoning. Yeah. We didn't really flex any other type of no uh, puzzle solving muscles here. It is hard sometimes that when it, based on where you were sending people that the information you got back sometime, it was just like, not engaging enough to really excite you. Yeah, it's it's hard because you're gathering information, but unfortunately, just like any kind of like thing, you just don't get enough at points. It's that awkward, like you said, you explained it well. We would send out three out three people to places that we thought were very important, and the information we would get was useful, but it just it's not that strike of like, aha, we did it. We, yeah, you know you but. You you didn't get that, unfortunately, but we were like, but it was very useful because the next turn, like as we started doing moves. So to, to explain, we beat this game in six moves, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think it was six moves. Yeah. Which apparently is pretty good. Uh, and, you know, humble brag. I think humble, we did great. Humble brag. But, Zach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but like the first few turns that we did, we had like one of our first two was like one that we felt like, aha, we gained some really good information. And then we had like one or two that it felt like we like for a bit, I was like, okay, I've learned literally nothing. Yeah. I, I think you said it great is a lot of other puzzle games really hit you with aha moments as the game goes on. Yes. And the intersection of the lack of those aha moments with the weight. Sometimes you got disappointed when you got the mail, you opened it yeah. up and you really didn't learn anything and you had to be okay with the process to continue that. And that sometimes was not as fun as it felt it could have been. Like it would have mm -hmm. been fun to like discover like, Oh, ho, ho, like they did stash the bloody knife here. And, but really it was more so it felt like suspect elimination versus like the ins and out of a true crime solve. It's, I will say though, there was, when you do figure out the one, aha, uh -huh. 
what there is one, at least for us, there was one specific moment that was the biggest aha moment for me. And Jared will tell you that I like wanted to, I think I probably walked around the office a little bit, but all I remember is that we found some information about this certain person. And then I like, we had gained information about that person a while ago and I just didn't make that connection. And then when I read, it, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like something else. And then I went through our old file and found it. And I was like, I looked at Jared. I was like, I think I got it. I think I got it. And I just, <laughs> and I just started running around the room. Like, I think I got this. And then when we solved it and I was correct, I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. And that was great. But it, it is understandable that for a game that you have to wait for. And sometimes just the information you get is not as big as a haul as the ending or really even, even close to that feeling yeah. of aha. You're like, okay, cool. I let's, let's send out another response and hope the next one makes me like scream and joy. Yes. And that, and that's, what's so hard about this game is I really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I love the weight for some reasons. And I didn't like the weight for other reasons. Yeah. So I'm kind of torn between that. Would I play it again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would definitely play it again, but I wonder if there is some room in there for offering players more narrative payoffs so that you're more initiated and more interested in getting going. Like I could have just used some more reinforcement along the way to say like, yeah, like, yeah, the the same way that we've seen it in some of the other crime games that we've played. And, And the final thing is it's not really, it's not, it's just a fact of what can happen. And I realize what I'm about to say can happen in any time that something can get shipped to you. But one of the hard things about this is you can get into the regularity of giving, getting these games, but it can get lost in the mail, which, which happened, which happened to us. And that's no fault. I want to make this very clear. That's no fault of murders by mail. We told them they did an amazing job of customer service and getting us something out. But we were, we were in a really good flow there and then we had to stop. And I think that's just one of the inherent risks of this game is you are getting so much mail yeah. that the probability that the USPS will misplace something yeah, is, one. is higher. Because yeah. it was it was our last one, I think. Yeah. That they misplaced. We literally <laughs> we we were waiting for the answer to tell us of get the last piece of information that we thought we needed. And we had to wait what, like an extra week worth basically yes. just cause it got lost, which like I said, it was no issue by merging. No, mail, just unfortunate. So it's, it's, it's kind of the, the dark and the light side of the mail. It's like, we're so excited to get mail except yep. when it doesn't come, when it doesn't show, when it doesn't show. But yeah, also, I mean, I think that's a positive for murders by mail is they do have really good customer service. Yep. So kudos to all of them, but all in all, I, I really enjoyed this. I yep. so intriguing to me and I just had a lot of fun playing through this game with you. Yeah, no, it was a blast. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our first section, Puzzles to the People, coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, do you like immersion? Well, I have the thing for you. If you go to Recon, which is a reality escape convention, here in August, August 22nd and the 23rd of the year 2021, you can see many things that involve immersion as well as other types of escape from reality. Things such as at-home puzzle games, escape rooms, so on and so forth. It's really a great place to kind of learn even more about the industry and kind of see what people are up to, as well as there's some really cool workshops to get more information about it. So if you like those things and you potentially even want to see us there, because guess what? We do have a panel there and you'll get to see ourselves as well as some other amazing creators. 
If you like all those things, make sure you guys check out Reality Escape Convention this year, which is August 22nd, 23rd of 2021. If you want more information about it, uh, you can just text me. No, just kidding. Don't do that. Um, if you want more information, please go to realityescapecon.com. That is a great place to get even more information. And hopefully I'll see you there. I know you just heard about it, but I got to bring up going to recon again. Really? What's recon? Well, you just went right into the commercial voice there, didn't you? That's right. Uh, go to recon. Come to recon. It's on a pay-as-you-want structure. There's going to be some really awesome things. And even if you're not really in anything of the fields that is being presented on it, because it, it, it is going to feel a little more escape roomy, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, you, I think we have things to learn from adjacent industries and True. from other immersive industries. I know I have. Uh, being an escape room owner first and then really diving in hard to the tabletop world. Mm-hmm. There are sensibilities that have served me well and also ways that the tabletop has pushed me to be a better escape room designer. Yep. So I, I think it's just well worth our time. But you know what there's going to be until now in between August 22nd? What? Wait, Zach. There's going to be a wait. What do you mean? I'm talking about wait today. Zach. You understand that I pay to not wait. I under, but in this game, people are paying to wait. And we've talked about that a little. We got into it a little bit at the end of the last section, but I want to dive deeper in talking about waiting because we have played some other games where waiting is a part of the game. Yes. I'll, I'll throw out a couple. If you subscribe to something like Scarlet Envelope or Enigma Fellowship, you're waiting between envelopes. Mm-hmm. Now, those stories are more episodic. Yep. Some of them belong to a longer narrative. Uh, let's go back to box one. Yep. There is uh, a wait in box one. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about that? We listed it as a positive early in the episode. We also said that there were parts of it specifically to this game that felt like they needed a little work, mm-hmm. but on the whole, how do you feel about waiting in at home puzzle and mystery games? That's an interesting question, Jared. Jared and I have very different opinions on this. If I remember correctly. I very much am a person that do not enjoy waiting. I love the, I love being able to set a certain amount of time to complete a game. Like if that's an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever the time we need to complete one, I love doing it in that moment. I, cause I, I think it's fun to get a story complete it all then, and then just be done with games that have more of a, like overarching story that goes over a bunch of them. I also like those because then it's, there's always the intrigue of like, I'm waiting for the next one, which that's okay to degree, but sometimes it's still like, I want to play it now because I want to see what happens next. And that's how I feel in other content too. Not even just in like these, but like video games and everything else. Like when I play like world of Warcraft, if I wait a patch and that's six months away, if it's on, if it leaves whatever like narrative on a cliffhanger, I'm like, <laughs> you're trying to have to wait six months to find out what happened to this character. The Avengers must have really destroyed you. Uh, when when Infinity War ended, yes, because then I had to wait for Endgame, which I had an idea of what would happen, but I uh, seeing all those people die was not was not fun to know that I had to wait a long time to see how they were going to fix it. If it makes you feel any better, I've seen every Lost episode, and oh, I wow. and I'm still waiting. I know you'll never get an answer <laughs> that. Don't watch the ending because I didn't give you enough an answer. <laughs> not a good one, uh, but yeah, I just I think waiting in games can be good. And I, and most of the people I've heard that have discussed why they do weights in game, like here, like we lucky enough, we got to listen to Neil Patrick Harris kind of talk about it when he was on reality escape pod. Yes. He brought up the point of the weight 
And I really enjoyed it because it was fun hearing him explain why they did it. Right. It was a very intentional decision. Yeah. And and that's what I like. The games that explain why they make you wait is fun. Now, if it's a game that I feel like doesn't need the wait, then it feels I want for me, I don't enjoy waiting. So then it's like, oh man, like I have to wait like three days. Like for this game, honestly, I really enjoyed it. But Jared will tell you my only thing is that the format I found really cool, but I'm just not a wait person. Like it was hard for me to play this game in between like, like play this once and then we'd play two games and then play another game at the end of the week and then come, come back to it. And I'd be like, Oh, I waited so long. Now I have to like re get back into the narrative, but it was a good game. So it made it worth it. But it's just like, for me, that's a personal thing. Like waiting to do certain contents, not my thing. I'd rather just play it all then. Same with like shows. It's hard for me to watch shows at times. And I I'm like a binger. Like that's a big thing that's probably related to most people is that you either like watching shows and waiting for the next week or you're a person that goes, I'm not going to watch it until it all goes on Netflix and then I'm going to watch all of it at once. Well, for me, it depends. Yeah. Like we've talked to, you and I have talked personally a lot about Loki. Yeah. That just came out, which by the way, if you haven't seen that, Zach and I are both really big fans of that. Even if you're not really into Marvel, I think you could jump all into- All the Marvel shows are great. Yeah. You could jump into Loki with very little research. They do a good job of and, explaining and, things. And, and do a good job. Yeah. But- I enjoyed the wait for Loki because the cliffhangers were so enjoyable. Very good storytelling. Very good storytelling. But I agree. Other things like when The Office first came out or Parks and Rec came first out, I would watch it episodically week to week. But now having binged it hard, you know, second, third times through, I enjoy that way more. I've I watched like, it nine times through. <laughs> Too many times I've watched The Office through. Like, that is more engaging to me. Yeah. But in game design, is this is where I kind of want to take the conversation. It's so interesting because it feels like your job as a game designer is to, contri- is to create an enjoyable experience. Yes. And we've heard different creators, like you said, Neil Patrick Harris said, well, I wanted to fly in the face of what was expected. And I had a very intentional reason for putting the weight in box one. Yeah. But I have a reason, but I want to know why you think players hate waiting because I would argue, I think a majority of people are like you that would say, I don't play games to wait other than my own time management, right? Like you're not going to sit down and beat a video game that has 80 hours of content in one day. And you realize that, so you have to divide it up. But if you could, you would. So yeah. my, my argument is for things where you aren't controlling the waiting, mm. why do you think we're so against that? And this may be a little philosophical for our show. Interesting. I So my thing is I'm a big fan of instant gratification. I like games that I can play and or things that I know I can complete and just get it then. The thing with, I think, instant gratification is that you're, you know, you you do something that you know you can complete in a time period or in a place and get it all done. And when I have to wait to get that, it's harder for me to do. I, I am intrigued though. What, what do you think the reason is? So this is super interesting. Very, uh, if you believe in coincidence, very coincidental timing. I was doing some personal development, like online education stuff this morning. Mm. And I was uh, learning about focus was the online course that I was taking about. And what the teacher said is that all of kind of human behavior revolves around the idea of the desire to escape discomfort. Mm, Yeah. And that's what, to your point, I think instant gratification does is 
in the wait, in the pause, in the quiet, there's a lot of discomfort in that time. And if you're making a game, well, games aren't about discomfort unless that's your goal, right? Yeah. Like unless you're trying to create some type of mood or something. But for the most part, you build a game because you want to escape, right? That's what we're all talking about. So weights in games or pauses in games that are outside of the player's control, I think are undesirable for a majority of people because, well, one, they're not playing your game, but two, you're putting them in a space where they're now back in reality and there is discomfort in the weight. Yeah. And let's say murders by mail example, if that's the only game you're playing, like if you're only a one game at a person time, you are now forced in that downtime to just sit. You don't have another game to play. Yep. You've got to find something to do for three days. Right. You got something to do sometimes longer, depending on, you know, where business days, yeah, business days and holidays and things like that. So I think it's really interesting that I think the reason this is such a big talking point for us is because we're dealing with the intersection of what makes a game good and enjoyable. And then a factor that seems to fly in the face of that. Yeah. Yet I find myself sitting here saying, I enjoyed that about murders by mail, but that could be because I had content to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Right. So maybe the next time we play murders by mail, we, don't have a podcast for a month. We, uh, <laughs> and, and we, we literally play nothing else we, during that time. We literally play nothing else, but it's, it's so engaging. And I think that's, I think going back to box one, that was my struggle is, Hey, I was really enjoying what was going on in box one. It was so different. It was so unique. And then you forced me to take a break and I didn't like that. Yeah. And and maybe that's maybe that's the other issue here is we've talked about instant gratification, but we haven't talked about control. Yeah. Do you think that could be a factor in why you don't like weight? Because now all of a sudden the game is outside of your doing bidding control. Yes. <laughs> why is that so bad? You you're like almost escaping your normal life when you play games and you feel like you're in control. Like because there's a lot of things that are out of your control. So it's nice to have something that you feel like maybe at times you, everything else in your life or, you know, whatever's going on, you can't control. So it feels like you have something for a certain amount of time that that is yours. You control what you do with it. And then when the game goes, aha, you thought you were in control this whole time. Now you must wait 24, you know, 24 hours for you to do the next part. You're like, what? Like, let me do what I want. Like, this is the point I'm doing. This is for me to do what I want. And that's, yeah, I, I think it's that hard part of you feel like it's yours. And you can do whatever you want in it. And then the moment it goes, nope, you got to wait. Yes. You're like, come on, man. Like, let me play what I want. Dang it. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of power in the wait to be disruptive. Yeah. It, it felt that way in box one. It felt that way in murders by mail. Like we're going to disrupt what games normally do. Yeah. And it, and it worked. It does work. Yeah. I think it, I personally think it works better when you know that that's coming. Yes. Right. That yeah. was kind of our, that was kind of what we talked about a little bit with box one. We openly have to admit that that was done strategically into a point. It just didn't land with us. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was really, really funny to me because it comes back to what we're always talking about, which is make a decision and roll with it, but do it well. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to make people wait, man, you better give them a reason. Yep. And I felt like that's what murders by mail did. Well, it was, well, I'm sending the people out. Yeah. This is London in the 1800s. 
They're not walking there and back and getting all this information. And that somebody might do it this day and other people might do it this day. So in terms of the narrative, it felt really authentic. Yes. And in terms of the system that you're using, obviously it's, it, it's more fun in my opinion than if you had just gotten a quick text back Oh, agreed. for what they, for what they've set up. Yeah. But I just think it's so fascinating as we dissect these games and figure out almost, like I said earlier, philosophically, like, why do we like this? And why do we not like this? Yeah. And I think the rule of thumb that I would say is weights and games, not the best when it's taken out of the player control, but can be wielded strategically and can be done well, but it's got to be really well thought out and really well implemented. Yeah. Any other thoughts as we conclude our middle section here about waiting in games? You know, I'm not a big fan of waiting, but you know what the one thing I can wait for is? What can you wait for, Zach? Recon. Recon. (laughs) I'm going to wait, and then I'm going to enjoy recon so much when it comes out. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm really excited. I'm sure after we end this section, which we're about to do, you'll probably hear another ad for us about recon. We just uh, we just feel like it's really beneficial. We want to see more people from, as we mentioned, adjacent communities come together to talk about immersive things. We have the potential to learn from each other and to make all of our content better. Yep. Well, that's going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People, Questions for Creators, coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey everybody, Jared here from Puzzling Company. If you are not aware yet, the Recon or the Reality Escape Conference is coming up August 22nd and 23rd. Well, you're saying to me, you can't go. Nobody can actually get there. It's all online this year. So if you're interested in the tabletop world and escape rooms or anything immersive, there's going to be a wide range of awesome speakers, games that you can play, and you can find all the information out about this conference at realityescapecon.com. We're going to be there doing a session. Definitely come check it out. Recon, realityescapecon.com. Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. We are now in the section of the show that is called Questions for Creators. In this section, this is kind of a part where we get to talk to the amazing people who create them. And also we've talked to people who don't create them, but help in the marketing division, all kinds of jobs, distribution. So this is just kind of a great part for us to get to hear from the people who help work on these games and get more of an insight. So Jared, can you tell us a little bit about the person that we're going to have on the show today? Well, I don't want to give away too much because I did enjoy this interview because of everything that we've talked about in the episode with this just being a really unique game. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will let them introduce themselves. They are just one of the people that are a part of this company that makes the game. They'll talk a little bit about that in the interview, but we always want to make sure we give credit to the entire team and not just the person that we're interviewing. But I say we just hop in and uh, let's get to know them. So tell us who you are, who your company, and give us kind of the story leading up to the creation of Murders by Mail. My name is Jason Camp. Um, I'm a creator and uh, creative. I've uh, been working in <clears throat> primarily in marketing, graphic design, web development, uh, web design, uh, that for better part of better part of almost 25 years, which is terrifying to think about. You know, I, I've always had an interest in, you know, uh, games, uh, whether that's board games, uh, role-playing, video games, whatever. That's sort of always been a passion of mine. Um, I think I was one of the first kids on my block that had an Atari, and that was, you know, 
not just that I loved it, but then all my friends said, Oh, this is incredible. We got to play this. Everyone wants this. I was like, yeah, this is, this is a cool thing. In any case, uh, with that as a career, uh, really, uh, I have, a, I have some friends also who are kind of likewise in the same, have the same interests, have the same sort of, um, passions and drives. Uh, and a friend of mine who wound up being uh, sort of the co-creators, my partner with murders by mail. Um, we had been talking, he actually runs a separate, um, business, which is subscription box. And he's been really interested in that model. Um, we had sort of simultaneously come across some other, some of the murder products, some of the mystery products, um, murder products sounds like a bad idea. Um, but some of the mystery products that are out there and, um, you know, there's Hunter Killer, there's the individual boxes, there's Mr. Company, um, all these things. And we got really interested in that is just, you know, how would you build that and how would you do that? We both have been fans of the board game, quote unquote, board game of Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, which is really kind of the, the origin model for, for what we're doing. But we said, how would you do this as, how would you do this as, you know, an ongoing thing? How could you have a multiplayer, you know, multi-user sort of experience? Um, and some of those other products are great. The difference, the thing we found maybe lacking is some of them are just one-shot experiences. You buy it, you do the mystery, it's done. And it's, you know, one night or a couple nights and that's it. Um, and some of them like kind of killer, which is remarkably successful as near as we can tell, there's no actual interaction with you in the game. It's just, you get materials, you study them, you make your theories, you figure these things out and sort of this ongoing mystery. And that's cool. But we would like, we're used to, you know, tabletop role playing. We're used to things where we want feedback. We want to be able to be part of this story. And so what we sort of built out and kind of reverse engineered out of consulting detective is the idea that make it an actual game, give people some agency, give people control. They can't make their own characters, but we can give them, you know, a few choices. We can give them some directions that they can choose. And then basically create a world that they can go and they can run around and explore in. And so, um, for better or for worse, we have these, you know, incredibly expansive worlds, which are, you know, probably a maybe maybe twenty percent filled out and fleshed out, but a lot of the locations on any given case aren't relevant. So, really, the core of the mystery is is consulted or is is built in uh, before we go. And then we talked about a number of ways to do it. Um, we finally decided on this Kickstarter. Um, we did that first in early twenty nineteen. Was the first one. Um, and we were sort of trying out a lot of ideas at that point and some things, you know, obviously through this whole process, there's a lot of lessons learned in terms of how, how things work and how it should work and what's good, what's bad. Um, but we did that. We fulfilled that first Kickstarter, um, on time. And then, uh, after about a year of that, we said, you know, we need more content. We need to expand these other things. We had decided early on that, you know, we wanted to do something a little different, not these traditional mysteries. But then at a certain point we said, you know, Sherlock Holmes is really popular. We should probably get a Holmes case. So that was our second Kickstarter was just for that case. And um, it did, uh, both Kickstarters did about the same, but uh, we made about the same amount of money. But the popularity, I think, of Holmes was uh, a good symbol. So talk to us about the time in between games. What has the feedback been? So initially, as we talked that out, you know, we had we had a number of different ideas as to how that fulfillment could work. We initially decided against having an immediate response, as I said, because a lot of the responses would be custom written, at least early on. There'd be a lot of need for, um, you know, sort of rethinking, re-engineering if we needed to, or um, altering content. And we didn't want to have to make that so immediate. 
and as we talked about the mail, we said, you know, there's there's a certain for some people nostalgia, for some people it's just pure excitement. You know, part of I think part of the what we're seeing now with legacy games, part of what we're seeing now with like uh, living card games, even collectible card games, there's kind of a thrill in getting something new and being able to you know have something that's delivered to you or that you're picking up and it's a secret surprise um, and opening that up is kind of a treat. And so we said, well, mail is kind of like that. I mean, again, on the nostalgia route, I remember you know having pen pals in high school and middle school and it was the coolest thing in the world to be able to, you know, finally get a letter back and read about my friend in, you know, Poughkeepsie or wherever it is. But we had to kind of temper that with, you know, how, how fast we can reasonably produce. Um, and that kind of, that led to some other discussions about how we were going to fulfill. But ultimately the decision was, let's make this, you know, let's make this measured. In keeping with that decision, you know, we probably will never have a mystery that is, set in a modern day that is in a modern setting, because I think they're just an expectation. If you're reading a, if you're reading a story that's set in even the eighties, you know, it's like, why do I have to wait so long? Why don't they just call this person? Why don't they, what is taking so long? Why does it, why did it take this long? But you know, you're in Victorian England. Yeah. You're waiting for the post. Things don't move so quickly. Things get kind of lost and mysterious. It adds a little bit of ambiguity to the timeline, but mostly that doesn't matter. Um, at least that we found. And in terms of customers, I think most people, I mean, we try to make it expressly clear that this is a measured pace. We try to make it clear that if you're signing up for this, you are not going to play this over the course of a weekend or one night or what have you. It's going to be, it's going to be an involvement. It's going to take some time. And for the, I, I would say for the most part, I think we've only had one or two people who have, you know, we've had someone go missing a reply go missing someone's you know the mail hasn't delivered and they'll contact us and say can you just email it to me it's like well yes i mean we're happy to do that if it's been lost and you've been waiting two weeks or what have you but we really don't want to make that the model because that's a much different game part of that pace is you know is that slow sort of read a bit make some choices send them off and you know within a few days a week you're going to get your reply and it'll be new information and hopefully you know ideally it points you to some new things or it gives you new information or you can say oh that guy's suspicious or that guy can probably cross off my list and so ultimately it's um you know it, it's very much in the model and i think again in in our attempt to make it clear most people have been perfectly fine with it a lot of people have commented that they're very happy with that pacing that they don't have to you know, sit and crunch, you know, someone, we had someone comment that, you know, they didn't like, one thing they didn't like when they had tried consulting detective is that if you go off on a tangent and start going to locations that you have a good idea about, and they're just not in the book, it's like, it's kind of frustrating. We try to never give you the response of, you know, there's nothing here. If someone goes to a completely random location that has nothing to do with the case, we'll push them back. We can kind of steer them back into the flow. And then that location is covered for the next person that might have to, might have that idea. And we, and, you know, it also allows us to evolve and, you know, if someone sends in a location that's interesting, we hadn't considered that that might be a good way to conduct the investigation. We can build that in and it makes the experience richer for, you know, future players, for everyone that's involved. Jason, tell us a little bit about the game and the gameplay, just so that people can determine for themselves if this is a game that they would like to play. 
So with each of our cases, um, the structure is very similar. Uh, there are different components to each one, uh, depending on the genre and the actual story being told. But you'll receive a case file, which is literally a file with pockets and materials um, stuffed into it. Um, it'll include a few things every time. There is an introduction to the case, basically a description of what the mystery is. Um, and for the name, it's always a murder, um, maybe more than one. But you'll be able to read the introduction, whether that's a letter, whether that's you know a transcript of someone speaking to a detective or um, kind of the core setup of what you're, what you're being tasked with solving. Um, and then there's an introduction to the investigators and each case has three investigators. These in theory are fairly, not stereotypical, but they're, um, they're meant to kind of represent different aspects of that genre. Uh, for instance, in, in our noir mystery, the, the lead investigator is a private eye in 1948 Los Angeles, and he used to be a cop and he was in the army and he's come back. He's private now. And he's really straightforward, you know, sort of hard-boiled noir gumshoe. The second character is um, a woman who is a former criminal. She was a former cat burglar. And she's got um, kind of a little backstory. And there's, you know, each of the investigators kind of has strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, you don't really want to send the ex-con to go talk to policemen. That doesn't give you a lot of information. You can, but, um, you know, it sort of helps you guide to where you use these. The third is. Um, is another woman. She's a mechanic. She was, she's built in kind of the model of Rosie the Riveter, um, of all the women who, you know, stayed home and supported the war effort that were shop foremen and, you know, did all these other things. But you get introduced to these investigators. And then there's uh, kind of a raft of supplemental material. There's generally a directory with several hundred listings um, of the city you're in, whether that's Los Angeles or London or uh, Percozy is a little tiny fictional uh, English town called Bockerley. But that basically contains all the names, all the locations, all the businesses that you might visit. And again, there's hundreds of options there. There's also a, a rather large map that contains uh, the, of that city, uh, of the location that has a, those locations marked. Um, and in that instance, you know, that can be helpful if you're looking, you know, you're going to visit someone near the murder scene and you say, oh, there's a there's a quarry near here and there's limestone on their footprints. We want to check that out. Um, it kind of helps you make visual geographic connections with that. There's also a newspaper a clipping typically, or at least a, a page of newspaper that has um, typically a story concerning the murder itself. And then other stories, which may or may not be connected. Um, oh, as we've, de as we've uh, developed cases, we're trying to make newspaper articles more connected than not. Um, but we don't want it to be every page is, you know, every article is some specific detail. It seems a little unrealistic there, but there's always going to be little nuggets that if you read the new, if you read through the newspaper page and you come back and at a certain point, someone mentions, you know, they saw a man in a tuxedo and you can say, oh, there was a big, you know, society event that night. Hmm, let's talk to someone in that involved with that. So trying to tie things together, trying to thread things together like that. And then, like I said, in every case, there's, um, some other different sort of pieces. There might be, uh, you know, a note from one of the investigators. There might be um, a secondary map. The Holmes uh, case has a secondary map because there's a location. The scene of the crime is a fairly large uh, societal place that has a lot of offices and a lot of rooms. And so that's a whole separate indication. So there's a little flyer for that. And then keyly at the end, <clears throat> most importantly, at the end of each one, there's a sealed envelope, which is uh, 
when you're ready to solve, you open that and it contains basically the questions you will need, you will want to know the answers to before you solve. Um, when you're ready to do that, if you look at that, you think, and generally there's six or seven of those. If you look at those and you think, yeah, I got a pretty good idea of what these are. I know what all these are, or you're just ready to go. Then you can do the solve experience, which is all on, which is an online experience. Um, it's a little easier to handle. But in terms of in terms of the time commitment, you know, I, I think it's maybe similar to Hunter Killer in that you get it, you want to review all the materials, you want to do all the reading, you want to do it, and think on it. I think the biggest difference there is that with this, once you're ready, you send in moves. You send in three moves, one for each investigator of where they want to, where they want to go visit or a person they want to talk to, and um, those are submitted to us. We take those in. Um, we print out reply letters which are basically um, 11 by 17 folded and mailed, um, which has a letter essentially from each investigator to describe what happens at that location, what gets, what gets done, what gets discovered. Um, and again, in some cases, locations, we try, again, we try not to point people into too many dead ends. So you'll generally always, always get some information, whether that's pushing you back to a path or pushing you along a path. Um, that mail, and then that mail comes back to you within uh, post office willing within a few days. And uh, you get to read that information, review it. Again, when you read the first thing, if you have notes, you can go back, check things off, um, make comparisons, make connections, um, and then you make new moves. And then that's just a kind of a rinse and repeat uh, until you're ready to solve. And at that point, that case is finished. So tell us what is so engaging about the way you deliver the story? I think generally speaking, most good fiction, if not great fiction, is really character driven. You can have an intricate plot and you can have a story that, you know, has a lot of twists and turns or great excitement or great, you know, investment, but ultimately people are going to be interested in the characters. And if they can invest in the characters, they move forward. This is principally character driven. Yes, we've set up a mystery. Yes, there's all sorts of people that you can talk to and places to visit, but really we're giving you three characters that we hope are engaging and that you can, you know, find some enjoyment in seeing how they experience this world. And I think it's building a story that way, building a story just with the foundation of, hey, here's this here's this plot we've made. Let's throw these characters into it and see how it works. The most, I think the most entertaining thing that the feedback we've gotten that's most entertaining is that even though people understand they're having their experience with the game, they've sent their investigators to their chosen places there's an awareness that other people may have gone different places. Other people may have sent, you know, they may have sent the their first investigator to the crime scene. Someone else sent someone else and they got a different response. Generally, they're not too different, but everybody's getting kind of a different mix and match, um, choose your own adventure style of sort of interaction. It's not really that cut and dry, but it's, um, you know, it's it's a very engaging way. And just even thinking about it that way, it's, it's a lot of fun for us as writers and developers to think, how is this going to play out for these different characters? How is this going to play out from for this one versus this one? How does this story change if any of these things happen differently? Granted, within the structure of a mystery, you know there's a killer and you're ultimately going to try and get to them. Um, but there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different things um, that can be done to get them there. One thing that we found is kind of fascinating we do have some players that sort of sightsee that maybe want to visit a location that isn't part of the mystery and no part of the mystery has pointed them to, but they're like, you know, I'm in Los Angeles in 1948. I want to go to 
Don the Beachcomber and check that out. That's fine. And we can almost always try to find a way to get them to give them a little scene and push them back. But we've also had people go in directions to say, I'm going to go to this place, you know, actually have a legitimate, you know, detective style hunch to move location. And it's been really interesting that every now and then we'll get a location and say, why are they going there? Oh, wait, maybe, maybe they have gotten a good idea. Okay, that's cool. It's something we didn't even necessarily think of, but you know, knowing the plot, knowing all the, the working pieces, we can say, okay, this is a great, this is a great way to do it. And either that opens a new thread that they can follow, or it gets them onto something later and maybe lets them skip steps. Um, it's just really exciting, rewarding. And I I wish there was a way for players to know when they've done that, when they've opened up one of those. Um, we've talked about we've talked about ways we do it, and we're not sure how it would work, but that's really fun. I think that's again, I think any given player could have done that. So it's, it's great. I think as a player to know that they, again, they have the agency to do what they want. They have the interaction, they're controlling what they're doing there. With a world this big, it feels like it can be a little bit daunting. Can you talk about the factors that come with building such a large world? We have heard from a few players. I th- what you just said that sometimes it's a little daunting. It's important to note, and I think we've changed our our intro flyer, the the sort of welcome to the game flyer a few times. There is no way to make a wrong move. There Mm -hmm. is no way to really go. You can can go to a location that isn't really relevant or that won't get you good information, but you're never going to waste a move. You're never going to, you know, do something wrong. The biggest key is that certain investigators within each mystery are a little better at certain types of things, and those are all spelled out for you. So again, like I said, if you send the ex-con to talk to the police, they're going to get the you know sort of bare minimum of information. They're going to move. They're going to move plot forward. They're going to give you information. But if you sent the former police officer to talk to the police, they might get a little extra. They might get something that skips a step or jumps sure. over one connection. Quality. So it's things like that. But there's there's no. It's not wrong or right. It's just if you've used the right person, you're going to get a little information. You know, you're going to send the doctor to talk to the mortician. You might get more if you send the auto mechanic. Eh. So you can tell us as little or as much as you want. But what's in the future for murders by mail? So we're currently working on three new cases. One case for each of the genres. We've got you know we've got the three genres right now that we'd like to kind of expand on. We have a few other new, um, entirely different genres that we're looking to expand into, um, which are all at varying stages of development. Right now, you know, we know it works. We're trying to get this right, um, and we're trying to get the, these to function well. Um, we have a couple other creatives that are interested in getting involved. We have some other writers that are interested in, you know, people that know the genre. We're looking at like a kind of an Arkham Cthulhu style things. We're talking to people that really know that mythos, really are experienced with it. Uh, my partner's work has been working on a Dracula idea, um, sort of a post, post-novel post uh, experience. Again, everything is sort of set uh, at, at a certain point to uh, in the past, but we're looking at a lot of those things. There's another one there. We have a, have a crazy voodoo swamp idea, which is going to be, uh, which might might have some different gameplay things, but Really, the core of the gameplay, I don't think, is going to change too much. It would Changes would come in terms of materials that show up, new or different maps, if there's going to be other materials. I mean, the directory in the map, the newspaper, those are fundamental things that give you a lot of information. You can always go back to those on reference. So if we come up with another reference point, we've worked at some like some mini manuals, some like smaller 
like a main city directory, but then a smaller directory of, you know, of the secret society or whatever. That's what probably will change. But mostly at this point, we're working on just more content, more avenues for people to explore because we have had, we've had a lot of players who, you know, either on the Kickstarter backed one at all three cases or who signed up for one and then went to the next and then went to the next and said, we want more. So we want to, we want to be able to have more. We want to be able to open that up. So we do not have a strict time frame. I'm hoping that we may do the Kickstarter later this year and try to fulfill for Christmas because that feels like a good time. Our previous ones have done earlier in the year and fulfilled by you know May, June, pushing it to their end because we've had a lot. When we opened the store, we had we saw a lot of gift purchases. So that feels like that may be part of this. Someone says, someone who may not be aware of this, but they can say, oh my, you know, my brother-in-law or my buddy is really into homes or loves murders or loves noir. This would be a great gift. And so opening that up feels like a good, a good way to sort of branch and grow that, grow that audience. We always ask everybody this question, but what else are you playing? Don't limit yourself to just the world that we cover books, comics, books, video games, movies. What else are you enjoying that you think our listeners should check out as well? First and foremost, I'd probably recommend Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Uh, I believe there's four, maybe five collections of it right now, uh, which are uh, which are standalone. I think each box comes with ten cases, um, but it, you know, format and and how it works is uh, pretty similar to our experience. That'd be one. If you're curious about it, you can get ten cases for fifty, sixty bucks and play through. And those are those are a lot of fun. Um, in terms of other board games. Uh, I think I have a I have a board game problem, really. I've only stopped I've only stopped like actively looking and buying new things just because I know I've backed a lot of Kickstarter games. And I think they're all I have this suspicion they're all gonna arrive in like September. And it's like I'm gonna have like 20 new games. Um uh but yeah, we play a lot. There's a couple of sort of in, in this vein in murder games and mystery games. Um uh, there's two games that I think are fantastic. One is uh, Letters from Whitechapel which is a Jack the Ripper themed game. Um, but basically it's, it's kind of, uh, if, if anyone remembers the old game, Sherlock, or Sherlock Holmes, uh, if anyone remembers the old game, Scotland Yard, where one person is the, the criminal and the rest of people are investigators and you're trying to track them. Their movement is secret. Um, and then you're moving around trying to make notes and trying to make arrests. This is a similar vein, but it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more challenging in that, if you have four players, three of them would be police and one is Jack the Ripper. And Jack makes secret moves and he can do all these certain things. And if he uses you know, a carriage or whatever, they know that. And you have all these, you have a huge map where you're trying to track them down. And it is one of the, it is one of, I think, the most tense kind of exciting pursuit games I've ever played. Because either way, if you're Jack and you're going to, and all of a sudden the police have closed in on you, you're like, how do I get out of here? How do I move? I'm going to move here. I'm going to do these and they're right around the corner and someone looks the wrong way and you zip through. I mean, it's, it's a really great experience. There's also sort of a simplified version of that game, which is called uh, Whitehall Mysteries, I think. It's the exact, exact same publisher. It's a smaller box game, and it strips out some of the things. Um, it, again, it, it's a streamlining of the game. They're both fantastic. One's a little heavier. One's a little less, a little more casual. Um, those are two great games. Uh, but then in terms of other board games, you know, I, I play most of them. I, I think like a lot of people, I started, I got into the hobby uh, 
with, you know, people who wanted to play Settlers of Catan and um, some other things. And then that, that branched off into, uh, you know, Scythe and Bloomhaven. And gosh, there's so many. There, there's so many. Again, I also am a big video game fan. My, uh, we just picked up, we actually just started doing some VR. My son picked up, wanted an Oculus. So we're doing that. And it's, that's a crazy evolution because some of that is just so immersive and kind of dizzying. And I don't know if, I don't know how you could make something that's really role playing, but I'm sure it's coming because just that environment is, you know, just fascinating. And there's a lot of potential that I don't think people have really begun to understand. Yes, you can have a roller coaster and yes, you can play Beat Saber or vacation simulator or what all those things are but i think there's some i think there's some more depth there's a lot more to be plumbed there because it's such a new space jason we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show with us thank you, thank you we appreciate the opportunity to get to play your game and are looking forward to trying out some more in the future for future episodes but if you want to play murders by mail which we think you should you can just go to murdersbymail.com mm-hmm They've got cases, like Jason said, out. They've got more coming out. And enjoy the time in between as you authentically wait to hear from your lead investigators. For us, Zach, what can they do to help us out? They can send us money at. No. <laughs> uh, there's a few things you guys can do. Um, putting us on a regular download on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the platforms is a big help for us. We very much appreciate it all the time. Uh, you can also leave us reviews on those. Uh, so you can leave us whatever review you like, preferably five stars. I, I would like to less see the one-star reviews. But if you feel that way, I would gladly love to see it. At least leave a comment. Don't just do the one-star. But uh, it, please leave, give us like a five-star on the reviews. We very much appreciate it. We hope you guys are genuinely enjoying the show every week. You can also go to our website, which is puzzlingcompany.com. Go in there. You can already start signing up for the website. You can kind of get your own account and start potentially starting to see what we're going to be working on. Absolutely. Zach. Where are we heading next week? It's crazy. I feel like we're going all over the place in our next ones. We have places like the Forbidden Temple. We're going to be going to like dealing with Maui's curse. Uh, we absolutely are. Even and also like, some. You could also say we're going to be dealing with some like tall tales. It sounds like quite the conundrum. That's correct. <laughs> it can feel like almost there's so many conundrums in a box. Yes, and it, I just feel like I'm encouraged to think outside the box a little bit, too. Or inside it. Or inside the box, yes. It's it's a tough choice that we have to make from time to time. But yes, we will be covering the Conundrum Box on next episode. We'll be covering the three games we talked about, Forbidden Temple, Maui's Curse, and Tall Tales. But that's going to be this episode of Puzzling Company for Jared and Zach. We'll see you guys later. Peace! Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 